How do you make business problems disappear? Wrap them in bacon. For business owners, marketing execs, and anyone trying to grow your business, pump your profits, and make more while doing less, welcome to Bacon Wrapped Business with Brad Costanzo. Sizzling hot business advice guaranteed to make you fat. Profits? Every week our chefs will serve you proven recipes for ramping up your revenue. Now here's your host, Brad Costanzo. All right, welcome to Bacon Wrapped Business. This is Brad Costanzo, and today I've got a guest that I've been wanting to get on this show for a long time. I've been on his podcast a long time ago, and I've been waiting to return the favor and get to pick his brain on the show. Nathan Lotka is joining me here today. Say hey, Nathan. Hello, Brad. How are you? You're, you're totally lying. You just said, I can't have this guy on my show. I'm going to wait as long as possible. I'm going to wait. as I, I wanted to make sure that the show had enough. Uh, what I would say, weight and <laughs> cachet to honor the great Nathan Lockett. Now, so, you know, I, I want to introduce, like, kind of how we met and, uh, you know, how we know each other. So, uh, I think, I remember when you had the, hey, what is it, hey, yo, that was the software, right? That's Year, right. Years ago, and we can talk a little bit about what that was and how you sold it, but I remember that, and then I believe our mutual friend, Lo Silva, made an introduction and originally... Uh, I got to share my story and advice and whatnot on your podcast. Maybe, gosh, I think it's been a year and a half, something like that, maybe a year ago. And then just re- recently we reconnected at Steve Olsher's well, the New Media Summit. We were both icons of influence. I think That's I've right. still got my badge somewhere to prove it to my <laughs> wife. That, Look, I'm an icon. It didn't happen unless you have the badge. Exactly. I did take a badge. I said if it, a picture of the badge. I said if it exists on the badge, it must be true. Yes. But, man, I've been really impressed with watching the stuff you've done from selling Heyo to I mean, creating Heyo to selling that and going on to create a podcast that, called The Top. Is it The Top or The Top Entrepreneurs? Yeah, people can just Google the top podcast and it shows up at the top spot. But I guess the full name is the top entrepreneurs. So you I, you have I never asked you this, but did you call it the top entrepreneurs for SEO or the top for? Yeah, for SEO it, I did it for SEO. I did it for <laughs> SEO reasons. So when you looked that. at the search volume for podcasting in general about two years ago, yeah. you saw steadily increasing the search term for the top podcast going really quickly. And I'm like, well, hell, I'm just going to name my show totally. something like that to take advantage of the swing. That's awesome. Yeah, and I went the exact opposite way. I was like, let's get some, uh, let's get some crazy. Make it my business, baby. Well, speaking of our friend Lo Silva, who was also a guest in the show, and he's been one of my longtime friends, when he had a podcast, he said, hey, man, can you share this episode on Facebook? And I was like, yeah. So I just wrote something in the title that said, check this out. Lo just shared some bacon-wrapped business advice if I've ever seen it. And I was like, that yeah. would be a good podcast name. So bacon rap business was more. So did you then get into launching your show just because you respected Los and had such a good time on his and you said, Hey, if it's working for him, I should do it too. Respected Los. Who respects Los? No. That's why I'm asking. I'm like, <laughs> who the hell respects Los? No, uh, I can't wait to send this to him. <laughs> um, no. So a, a bunch of my friends have been telling me that I should do it. And I never just wanted to come out with the Brad Costanzo show because that was, it would bore me. So when I did that and I saw the name, I was talking to my buddy, uh, um, Nate, uh, I was going to say Nick Locker, uh, Nick Unsworth. And yep. Nick had me on his show, and I was telling him I was thinking about doing it. He's like, well, what would it be called? And I said, Bacon Rap Business. And he's like, cool, you got the URL? I said, not yet, but it's available. So he interviewed me, and he said, okay, so go check out Brad's new podcast at baconwrapbusiness.com. 
I was like, okay, I guess I've got to start this now. Nick, when does this show come out? And he said, 10 days. So I had 10 days to go from concept to launch, and it was just baptism by fire. So That's good stuff. It's been great. You know, it's been such a cool way for me, and I know for you as well, this is one of the big things I want to talk about, to get access and influence in the marketplace. And you've really done this um, in a very big way. In, the, in fact, when we were having lunch the other day, you even mentioned, what did you say? I'm not even an entrepreneur or a, uh, a marketer. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an investment banker. So you've kind of changed that around. And I definitely want to talk about some of the ways you're approaching deal structure and how you're using your podcast very strategically to build access and influence to some of the truly the top and especially tech entrepreneurs out there and creating the Get Lotka database and some of that other stuff that. Yeah, this will, this will blow your mind, Brad. Well, actually, I ran the numbers the other day because we've just passed our 1,000th interview. Now, we've only released about 700 of them. We have 1,000 interviews. And all together, the CEOs, they employ 28,000 people. They've raised $6.3 billion, and they do $3.7 billion annually altogether. So, I mean, that gives you a sense. And then just to break that down into some cohorts, right? So 20 of my interviews are with you know software CEOs doing more than $100 million per year. But then I I have, you know, hundreds that are people that are less than a million in annual mm -hmm. revenue that are just starting. So, I mean, it really runs the gamut. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, when you got into the podcast, so tell me where you were. You So, first of all, hey, yo, explain what the software did. Yeah, the very quick hey, yo story. I was 19 in college studying architecture. It was 09. Nobody is hiring architects in the middle of a financial crash. Nobody's building. That's yeah. the first thing to go. So I said, to hell with this, launched Heyo, the software company. And all I did to launch it is I saw another software doing the same thing. I thought the CEO was a total deadbeat and not a good marketer and said, you know, I'm just going to create the exact same thing and I'll market him. And I just crushed him. Right. So, That's you know, funny. a year and a half in, you know, we were growing. 30, 40, 50 grand in monthly recurring revenue. We then got investment from some of the world. Actually, many would say the world's top angel investors and David Cohen from Techstars and, you know, Dave McClure from 500 Startups and from other folks. And then I raised a $2 million round of funding once we grew to about 90 grand in monthly recurring revenue. Grew that to about 5 million bucks in total sales up to the time when I was 25 years old and then sold it to our number one competitor. Ah, and so yeah. that's that that kind of rounds out that whole story in 30 seconds. Where'd you, where'd you go... When you're in your early 20s, where'd you go for funding back then? Because a lot of people, I know when I was in my early 20s, I, did, I, I knew where to go for happy hour, but yeah. I didn't know where to go for to raise millions in funding. Yeah, well, so I never went out to raise capital. What happened was, as I started meeting just influential business people who asked me good question, I would ask a very simple question that I have to give myself some credit. I think for my age at the time, it was like a genius thing to do. Yeah. I just said, hey, Brad, I really respect you. Can I put you on my monthly update list where I send out all my private financial metrics on the business? And if you see something you can help me with or challenge me on, just reply back. If not, no need to reply, but at least you get free information. And now these people would say yes to that. So once they started getting these updates and I'm doing 10, 20, 30, it 50 grand, they're writing back going, have you thought about investment? And I'm going, what do you mean investment? How does that work? And then they have to teach me about <laughs> it, right? And that's how it happened. That's, no, that's amazing. And you know, I've always heard that, uh, and actually my, my friend Roland Frazier also said this on our show, on our episode together, but it's like, you know, if you want to raise money, ask for advice. If you want to get advice, ask for money. 
Yeah, and that, you know, it's true, but you still have to be a little bit of an artist and you have to right. be a little creative because I meet so many people over lunch and they end with, so Nathan, how can, you know, how, how can I be of service to you? How I can I help question. you? It makes me want to vomit. It's like they read that tactic in a, in a Vanessa Van Edwards book on how to captivate people. So they said, I'm going to ask that at the end of all my conversations because it's a strategic thing to do. It just, it doesn't sound good. So you, you have to ask for advice, but not make it seem like you're asking for advice for the sake of like a stupid question. Right. And actually I mentioned that exact same thing when we were on the panel at new media summit. And at the end of this show, I've got my own twist on that, which I'll ask you, but it's a totally different way, especially because I think that I, I hate that question. Hey, Nathan, how can I support you? What can I do for like, it, well, you know, it's a, a, you know, it's a bad question because it requires me to do work. Yes, exactly. Right? It, it requires that. me to think of a way yes. for you to help me because I can't just say, Brad, you can't help me because it makes me sound too egotistical. So you're putting the work on me and it's just not a good thing. Yeah. You'll never hear from me again if you ask me that. No, I'm a, we are 100% on the same page. I think I even did a podcast episode on this about how much it annoys me and there's a better way to do it, which – We'll get to, dear yep. listeners. Um, no, so I, but anyway, I love that. And in a way, you were even asking them, it's almost like, hey, can you be on my board? But you didn't even ask for that much of a commitment. Can I just send you uh, an update on my financials and everything else that's going on? I mean, who would really say no? I'm sure most yeah. people would say, yeah, absolutely. Listen, the, the trick is money follows mindshare. Yes. Whether it's an investor putting money in your company or customers buying your product, money follows Mindshare. So you have to either create value in your product where users are getting addicted, that's getting Mindshare, or create intellectual conversations with potential investors, that gets them thinking about you more, that's Mindshare. So focus on capturing Mindshare first and the money becomes so easy, Brad. I mean, I have so much, like money comes to me now, I clap my fingers and boom, money's here. It's so easy once you do that. Yeah, you, the biggest problem is probably just knowing where to, where to deploy it. Exactly. Right. And that's a good problem to have. I'd rather have yes. you know, more money and not enough ideas. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, investments that you're making. So and as you said, you're you're seeing yourself as an, more of an investment banker, especially with this platform. And you're taking in you're making investments, taking equity, doing some really creative deals, both with your podcast and with food trucks and with everything else. Uh, tell me about some of the investments you're making right now. Like, yeah. So, so we did an amount last year in terms of me helping CEOs raise capital and me helping CEOs sell their companies for great multiples. We did an amount I think that would shock most people considering I have no banking background. In fact, I had so many emails coming to me from very large banks, their M&A departments, begging me. I mean, they would kiss my foot if I asked them to to join their M&A firms, right? Because these are typical investment banking firms where they're making, you know, 3% of a sale price if they sell a company for a billion dollars, you know, they get, you know, 30 million. That's their whole business, right? Mm -hmm. well, I what happened was the podcast basically allowed me to have 15 to 20 minute conversations with the really unbelievable CEOs and after the interview would end, we'd have five minutes for my next interview where they'd say, Nathan, we're thinking about selling or we're thinking about raising capital or hey, we wanna buy other companies. And I would then go to work helping them get the deal they wanted. Yeah. And they put all their business through me and I just take a, I say, I don't, I don't even sign an agreement, Brad. What I say is, listen, I'm gonna help you sell your company or raise capital or whatever for an unbelievable price and we're not even gonna sign anything. But here's what I expect. If you like the deal at the end, I expect a big, beautiful truckload of money in front of my house <laughs> With a, in a big, shiny silver car, right? And then I will give you more deals if you do that. So that's how I operate. <laughs> that's great. And then do you just, then when you're raising the money, when you're helping them do that, 
you're doing that via your platform and your contacts and your Rolodex that you've developed through all that? Yeah, it's 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 phone calls and and people I've connected with. You know, my podcast is a it's a very very sophisticated audience that listens. I mean, like for example, you know, the the John Lee Dumas Entrepreneur on Fire, even kind of Nick Unsworth, those kind of motivational kind mm -hmm. of shows. Yeah, that's, that's not every. <laughs> no, weird. no, those people when they listen to my show, they hate me, which is fine. I'm yeah. a very metrics driven. I ask every CEO how much revenue they, revenue they did last month, what do they pay themselves, what what's their equity, what's their valuation, the hard stuff. And yeah. so I have very, very sophisticated listeners, like you know, M and A people, you know, CEOs of huge companies. I mean, the the smartest people. So. Those people listen and then they reach out and say, Nathan, I heard this person on your show. Can you set up an intro? I want to invest. Right. And so I've just started building, building, building that Rolodex. That's great. As I, I mentioned those two words earlier, and it's a big part of you know, the advice that I get, that I try to take myself and that I give a lot of people is that it's access and influence are the two hinges, the small hinges that swing big doors of opportunity. Because if you can get access... And access doesn't necessarily mean ownership, right? I mean, we're in an access economy, Airbnb, Uber, et cetera, and even capital. You don't have to have all the money if you can make a, if you have influence with the people who do. And you've done a really good job of using your platform to, to get access to, to influence and then build influence for yourself, which gives you more access to more people and more influence. And as I say, it's kind of like compound interest. And it's the sole reason I started my podcast. I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't have any specific reason. I don't have a coaching program on the back of this where I'm selling things. I do consulting. I do investments, acquisitions as well. But my entire thing was if I can get the, the right guests on the phone and build relationships with there, there's a lot of opportunities that can open. And it's funny, all of the really, really cool things that are going on in my business life are a direct result of this podcast and mm -hmm. a direct result of treating it strategically and not just trying to fill up the airwaves with more you know, two idiots talking about marketing stuff. Yeah, right? I so, feel so bad when I listen to these people that launch a show. They've been doing it for three years. I listen to an episode and I'm bored as hell. And I go, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for these people because <laughs> they are just living in a delusional world. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe they have a million downloads, but that door that that's opening for them are to people that are broke and in debt. Like, exactly. I hate to say it, but like, I'm focused on opening doors where if the door gets opened, it's 20, 30, 50, $100 million deals for me, not right. a $10 person signing up for my info product membership site. Right. Now, are you, are you making any, are you personally making many investments of your own cash in some of these deals right now? Or are you able to, uh, you know, wield some of your influence and things in order to get equity without even putting a dime? Yeah. There are some people that have wanted more of my mind share. So to get that, they have given me equity right. and I help them grow so fast and then raise at a much higher valuation. Nice. I have also decided to write very large checks to other venture capital firms as a limited partner. Mm -hmm. And then I will recommend people who are interested in funding to those firms. So I invest, mm. but in, but but I'm not the one making the investment decision. It's my money, but someone else has control over it because I wrote a check. And you don't and have to handle all the, yeah, all the other little administrative stuff, diligence, yeah. Ex exactly. Now, the, the other aspect there is I am doing some deals myself, but these are more for entertainment purposes, right? Mm -hmm. So the other day, I walked with my checkbook down Rainy Street in Austin, <laughs> and 
bought a random business on the spot that I didn't know. It was ended up being a food truck called Ming's Funny Pad Thai. Yeah. Wrote her a $6,000 check. She pays me back 75 cents per meal till I'm paid back and then five cents per meal in perpetuity. That's a Kevin O'Leary deal right there, Mr. That Wonderful. Is, that I is. love and, those deals. But it's great returns, right? Yeah. And more importantly, almost two, well, 1.1, I think, or maybe it's up to 1.3 million people watched my Facebook Live when I did that on my Facebook page at Nathan Latka. So that gave me the opportunity to teach over a million people about business and investing. It cost me a six grand check, which also helped an entrepreneur and also helped her grow. So those are more for entertainment and teaching purposes. Well, it didn't even cost you. I mean, it was an investment that is currently paying you back. I already got paid back. I'm already making money. I've already made, I think, like 11% return on that in seven months. That's awesome. Now, yeah. are you buying any, are you acquiring any businesses like majority ownership and trying to take full control over those? Because I know you've got yep. the top inbox and another one, uh, Sendlater? I did, yeah. I Those deals, I did. I bought the whole company, okay. not not made an investment. I bought the whole company. And the reason I really like the topinbox.com is because it is a tool that helps salespeople send emails later in Gmail or auto follow up, which increases conversion and close ratios. Yep. Or even it allows you to see when your emails are opened. And so I used the tool back at Heyo. And so when I realized there's an opportunity to buy it, I wrote the check very quickly. I bought it, and I have to tell you, Brad, it's growing so fast now. I mean, it's almost doubling quarter over quarter in terms of both users and revenue base. That's amazing, and I'm, I'm a user of it. And, and oh, I think good. Said later. Yeah, absolutely, I love good. it. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. I'll make sure that that's all available. Um, how much, did you, do you have a team handling that? Like how much of your own time are you spent working and operating? I mean, what's your role there? Yeah, I'm not a big team guy, right? Yeah. I, I don't like making people feel good and like all that. You? I could never. Uh, yeah, I'm not a team guy. I just like getting stuff done. I like credit. Like I like to know that if something goes well, my name's on it and I get credit. But also, if it goes bad, you get all the shit. I'm really good at dealing with shit, right? But are so you I don't in there it. dealing with the shit every day? Like are you – how much time are you spending running oh. the business? Those are very, so that company, let's, for the top inbox, I maybe spend an hour a month on that. And that's usually, most of that time is our emails with uh, the developer that I have developing on it. Right. So, okay. So, and then how many people typically does it take to run something like that? Well, that one, I could release the developer if I wanted to stop making product updates and it would still grow about six or 7% month over month in terms of revenue. So it's just uh, the two of you. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't have any full-time employees. They're right. all, Contact. like what I do is I have all my systems built out in tasks mm -hmm. and I then hire people for those tasks. And what I do is once the task gets going and I get in, in a flow, if I don't like that person X is charging me 10 bucks to do that task, I will go make it competitive and find someone to do it at five to cut my cost in half because I have a lot of volume. So get the task laid out hire a person for the task to execute it. Once you get a volume play, then negotiate a lower price point with that person or go replace them with somebody else. Right. Are you doing much micromanagement of them, like the project management, or do you have anybody to kind of oversee that, report back to you KPIs, and you only come in when necessary? My biggest time investment is making sure the task is clear and concise at mm -hmm. the beginning. That's my biggest time investment. And then after it, no, it just runs. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so I, I, just, bought a, I just bought a business a couple months yeah. ago. So say is the, is the e-commerce one, right? Yeah, well, actually, that one, and I'll tell you offline about how that's kind of changed, but in a good way. Um, 
that one's on hold. I'm not quite close. Wait, come on, on Brad. Why you got to tell me offline? What'd you do? Did you walk away? Because it's not. Things aren't done yet. Got no, it. No, okay. Things aren't done yet. It is still being massaged and manipulated. However, all good. But uh, the other one that I bought, it was a it was a smaller website. It has a big audience. It's got uh, some great opportunities. But then one of the issues that I, I noticed is I bought it. It's almost like getting a new christmas toy right it's like oh you're excited to unwrap it and then you realize that assembly is required and you go oh shit so now i'm in the process of building of bringing the people to handle those tasks i've had to kind of zoom back out and say stop working on this ten dollar an hour stuff because but sometimes you need to sometimes you got to roll up the sleeves and figure it out okay what the heck did i buy so that i can hire the right people but that's not my strength which is managing teams project managing and uh, I, I love systems. I'm just not the best at creating them or following them. So yeah. I'm trying to learn that aspect as an entrepreneur. And what I've been doing, what, what's been really cool about the acquisition I've done, the acquisition I'm working on, is it's it's forcing me to think more, instead of like a business owner, I'm trying to think more like an owner of businesses and dive more into P&Ls and balance sheets and income statements and really understanding how the business runs from a investor level as opposed to worrying about conversion optimization and EPC and all this other stuff because that's not ultimately where I want to be. I want to be investing in more businesses, using my influence, using my knowledge and strategies to help them grow without having to get into the weeds. And what do you hope the outcome is? You want to sell them or milk them for cash flow forever? What do you want to do with them? The uh, the two that I'm working on right now is basically fix and sell because I know I, I don't want to necessarily be in them for a long term, but they, they both got the potential for, an exit, maybe a small exit, maybe a big one. And it's kind of hard to say at the moment. Yeah. But I mean, look, th- that's my strategy as well. And it's one of the reasons I don't like hiring people because that's actually, I mean, it can be a liability when you're trying to sell the company. But if you have a, a booklet of tasks that yes. have to be executed, that's easy to pass off. Absolutely. You know, uh, one of my mentors had said, now he was a very, I don't want to say he was a, you know, misanthrope or just hated people, but he kind of hated, he hated employees. And he was always very much like, Everybody says hire A players. He goes, no, have A A plus systems that you can plug in C players, and you know you can replace them when needed if your systems are good enough. Now that's true to a degree. Here's what I'll say about that: it's 100% true that if you want to de-risk your ability to hit doubles, and by double I mean a four million dollar exit every two years you should do exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. A plus systems that you can plug anybody into. Mm -hmm. If you wanna create the next Facebook where there has to be some innovative breakthrough, you have to design, create something brand new, you have to go the other route, which is A players random, but your chances of success are significantly lower. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it also depends. If you're trying to be really innovative, you need innovative minds behind that. If you're trying to buy a cash cow, it's just, all right, let's get this in, plug the pieces together and sell somebody a business in a box different story. But, um, you know, those are some of the things that I'm working on. That's one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you today is because there's very few people out there who actually do think very much like a deal maker. And how can I, you know, how can I think a little bit outside of the box and put together really lucrative deals using nonlinear strategies? And you're definitely doing a lot of that. I was really impressed. Did you, when you started the top podcast, did you did, did you have this in mind or was it like, no, I will never be the coach that looks back and said, oh, look how smart I am. I planned this from the beginning. Yeah, what I do believe 
what I do believe, and I've always believed, and you can go watch videos of me from 10 years ago, momentum is king. And so I know if the ball gets going, I will make good things happen. Now, I didn't know this stuff would be happening, but I knew if I just got going and committed to it, no matter what, good stuff would happen. Yeah, I love it. And it's exactly what I did, too, is just get the ball moving and figure it out as you go because it's way too hard to just plan it. Like I, I can, I've never been able to come up with like a five-year plan. What's your five-year plan? I, like, I literally don't know because I'd be thrilled if my life and business is totally different in a year as long as it's better. As yeah, long I as mean, I'm- look. It's true. It's it's one of the issues I have with like these books that come out, you know, the one minute manager or blah, blah, blah. You know, Gary Keller and Jay Pop is on the one thing. Yeah. Big fans of both of them. Really well done book. But it is the stupidest thing you could possibly do to focus on one thing. No, no successful person has ever focused on one thing. Okay, look at Bezos. He's got his hands in so many pots now, right? Yeah. And he created momentum <laughs> starting first. And the second he had the ability to do it, he launched other balls in the air. So mm-hmm. that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the things I tell people all the time is you shouldn't worry about starting a bunch of stuff. You should worry about finishing, yeah. right? So know when to end them. Know what, know, ask yourself at the beginning, if this goes 100% according to plan, what's the most money I can make? And if that money doesn't start coming in in the time period you give yourself shut it down and launch a different ball in the air that's also yeah my contention with people who say never ever 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 give up that's terrible advice you have to know because those are people who don't understand opportunity cost and that's people that have a big ego that don't want the public to see them as a failure so that's why they say never give up yeah i mean never give up on trying to improve your life and go after you what you really want but business ideas etc i you know one of the businesses that we talked about when I was on your show, the coffee business that I was doing with my wife. Because of opportunity cost and because of some unforeseen things, I had to, I, it's still there, but I had to put it way on the back shelf because of that exact reason. The economics weren't working out, opportunity cost was too big, and I just realized that this is never going to be, this is going to be a single, it's never going to be a double, triple home run. Yep. And uh, for you those should exactly give reasons. you should shut the stuff down fast with no apology and as quick as you possibly can. Right. Well, I was, it was funny. I was in a mastermind um, when this happened, when I made that decision and everybody just raised their drinks and toasted. It was a drinking mastermind. But <laughs> and said, all right, yeah, it won't be your last. And it's kind of cool yep. when you know that sometimes quitting is the exact right thing to do. Um, you have what, to swing the bat to hit a home run. Swing, swing, swing. Right. Who do you go to for who do you who? Who do you turn to for advice right now? Like, who are you, some of your most trusted advisors, mentors? I mean, may, maybe we don't know them if we don't know their names. You can, like, in general, who they are. Well, you have to be very careful with advice because yeah. even a billionaire giving you advice is coming from a very different perspective. And that billionaire probably doesn't remember the actual steps they took when they made their first dollar to teach you. And even if they did, it might not be relevant today. So I, what I do is I go hunting for patterns, mm-hmm. right? I go hunting for systems and patterns. And so I don't like to get that in the medium of people talking to me like over coffee. What I like to do is go read biographies mm-hmm. and pull the pat, you know, read a biography about Warren Buffett on commerce one day and the next day on Walt Disney about creativity yeah. and pull the pattern from both, both commerce and creativity and build that pattern into your business. I love that. Okay. So you don't, yeah, you, you'll go to the source material and you'll, as I said, I, I try to do that as well. And you get a lot of insights over that because, yeah, you can get a lot of the context can be lost in just conversations. People giving you advice on, well, this is what I would do. And they don't even know the full picture. 
yeah, a lot of people think you're you're making someone feel good. A lot of people ask somebody else for advice to make the other person feel good. That's yeah. why they do it. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to impress them and make them feel like you respect them. So you say, what advice do you have? When really don't give a – well, maybe you care about their advice. Maybe you don't. But what the, the worst thing you can do is take the exact advice they give you and execute it just to impress them and tell them you did it when you know it's not right for your business. Exactly. You know, you mentioned Walt Disney. And the very first episode of my podcast I ever did was a strategy – that Walt used, and I actually use this if I am giving advice, but it's a strategy that he used throughout his career in taking a dream and turning it into reality because he realized there's always three, I guess he called them voices in your head that are that show up to plan it. And it's like the dreamer, the person who's just imagining what's possible. Then there's the person, the planner, the doer, just he's storyboarding it out. And then there's the critic, the one, and the critic is not there to spoil the party and, and and all the fun, he's there to make sure that you're covering all the bases, that you didn't leave something out. So he actually had three different offices in their headquarters. He's like, well, you know, one room, we're just going to imagine what's possible. The next room, we're going to storyboard it. The next room, we're just going to figure out what's wrong. So when I'm when somebody asks me for advice, I don't give them this whole diatribe, but I'll ask them, are you trying to help, you know, do you want me to just help you imagine what it could be, or do you want me to actually find holes in it and the things you're missing? And by telling them that, they never hear that. And I was like, okay, well, what hat do you want me to put on? Because, Or do you want just plan on how to do it? And um, I think it's well-received because they're like, oh, I never thought about that aspect before. But it's really helped me, especially if I'm working with a business partner, employees, or team members. I was like, hey, I've, I've just got my dreamer hat on. Like, don't even criticize this. I just want to even see if this is a, a worthwhile dream to pursue. But um, for my listeners, if you want to hear me talk about that, it's the very first episode of the show. And I'll put a link in the show notes there as well. Um, I'll add real quick, Brad to that. Actually, I see it. And I don't know if you guys can see this on video, but on my, my, my room here, just pile them. house of books on the ground because I have no more bookshelf. Have One of the of books, Kindle? let me grab it. <laughs> the, the problem is I like the physical book. I this know. is the best book ever written in my opinion on Disney and nobody knows about it. It's called storming the magic kingdom. And you can see from the art, like it's a very old book. It was published i mean decades ago but the reason it's valuable this what this is the story of back in 1982 when investors the toll brothers the bell brothers some brothers in texas added up all the value of the real estate owned by the walt disney company and believed that the stock price was undervaluing just the real estate so they 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 did a raid on the business basically right tried to buy up shares of the company and then go after board seats and they ended up getting green mail which you know that's a whole different thing but in the book it's a beautiful clash of commerce from the private equity people and creativity from Disney and you learn how we thought in this book it's a very good book and you should follow that up with his I don't even see it back here on my desk I can but see Walt Disney. Walt, yeah the Walt Disney biography after you read this book that's amazing. I used to work for Disney in Orlando for about two years. Um, Doing what? Well, I got out of college and I was preventing a midlife crisis, so I went and worked at Epcot for five ninety five an hour for uh, like. Which character were you? Be it honest. Was not a character. I, <laughs> it was actually cool though. I got to I got to be on stage uh, giving demos of virtual reality back then with Silicon Graphics supercomputers. And this is 1996, oh, cool. so I got to actually be on stage and talk to people. And then I got a job. I was a finance major. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get out of the parks. I'm going to get a job in the accounting and finance department. It was terrible because there was no creativity or fun. And I got out of that business. But it was cool because I got to get an inside track on all the, the history of Disney and just how crazy cool like that is. I'm definitely going to pick up that book. Now, speaking of other books, and you've obviously got a lot there, 
What are what are some of the, some of the books that have made the biggest impact for you, either overall or the ones right now you're super excited about? I know you just read Principles by yeah. Dalio. Yeah, I'm actually I'm still actually I got a very nice note. I, I have obviously yeah you'll see it here, but I also have it up on my bookshelf because I just don't tell me Dalio just sent you a note. No, well. That's exactly what happened. So I just signed a big book deal with Random House and oh, he published with Random House. So he sent me a signed copy, but I'd already bought the copy on the release date. So which is kind of funny, but principles is, is good so far, but I'll give you some books that like you'll never really hear of that are unconventional. You know, they're, they're under the radar. This there's one called unconventional success by David Swenson. And the reason I studied David um, or Dave Swenson, he runs Yale's endowment. And it is the number one performing endowment. He grew from like a billion dollars to like 20 billion. It's just he's killing it. And he follows a very, very simple portfolio model, which you can adapt as a just smart business person for your own personal finances. So I won't give away what that is, but Unconventional Success, also written a long time ago, but very good book. I like that. You know, there's another one that you might like. I read it recently. I'm trying to think the name. Um, so it's about it's really it's the story of Wayne Huizenga. And I don't know if you know much about Wayne. The making I of don't. the making of a blockbuster. So Wayne was the Wayne, amongst other things, he was the founder of waste management. He was the founder of Blockbuster. He was the fa- founder of multiple companies. But he is a deal maker extraordinaire, amazing with roll ups, uh, etc. I mean, he owns some sports teams. And a friend of mine used to work with him pretty closely. And he's like, man, the, the deals that this guy would structure and put together. And he came from just a really blue collar background. But just the way he approached this thing, it was it was amazing. So it's like reading just a great book of business adventures. Huh. But yeah, the making of a blockbuster. Big fan of it. I look that up right now. The um, so what's next? I know you. So GetLaka is your GetLaka.com. That's the big database yep. you're building. Uh, explain a little bit about what that is and how you plan on capitalizing on that. Yeah, the the database I'm building, um, and it's just G E T Latka. That the reason I'm building it honestly is for me to be. You know, I just got to the point where I did so many interviews, I couldn't keep track of everyone's revenue and everyone's customer count and everyone's margins and equity and valuation in in my head. Mm-hmm. So I put the database together. Now it just turns out thousands of people are now finding it, and it's growing almost doubling every three weeks in terms of people actively using it. Because when you go there. You can click on any company. I mean, and your listeners have heard of these companies. You go there, you'll see a logo of a company you know. You'll click it, and the revenue they're doing will shock you. And what you can do is you can click the revenue data point or any data point, and it will take you to the point in the audio file where I was on the phone with the CEO where the CEO gave that data point, right? So you can get the context around the data points, which is really critical too. That is. Now, this is a free database or paid? No, it's free. I mean, look, the, the way I make money on it is – I watch who signs up. And so when I see, you know, at Goldman Sachs, right, and at Kleiner Perkins, right, and at Facebook sign up, you know, the head of BD at Face, I go reach out to those people. And that's how I do more M&A deals, which mm-hmm. are, you know, 10, 20, $100 million deals. Really? So, yeah, you hit you hit them up because they came through your door. So obviously now you've got a little. Exactly. With them. That's great. You know, that reminds me years ago when I first got into the world of Internet marketing and I was, you know, kind of in the. Uh, in the relationship, dating advice niche. I didn't know what else I was doing. I was like, let's try something here. But I was a nobody. I had a little product, but I created an online master. This is really before Facebook was big. This is like 2008 or nine. And I created this little syndicate, like a Google group where people had to sign up, but it was all uh, business owners and marketers in this area. And I managed the JV calendar and I managed the, um, just the, the forum. 
But in order to sign up, they had to come and enter their name, information, phone number, email address, where they found out. So they came to me and then I just called them up and made sure I had a little uh, introductory interview, got to tell them who I was. And it allowed me to build rapport and let them know that, hey, I may not be the biggest kid on the playground, but I'm having the party in my house tonight. So it allowed me to now tap back into them. And anytime I wanted them to mail my offer or do something like that, there was instant reciprocity built in. So, but I, I paid attention. Everybody who wanted in, it's like, cool, that's an opportunity for me to contact you. That's right. Right. Access, influence. It's the exact same story. Um, what, uh, what's the most exciting thing you're working on right now? Obviously the book sounds amazing. What's the book going to be about? Well, I'll get to the book in a second, but the most exciting, I'm working on a very, very large deal right now, which has the potential to break that beautiful B number in terms of dollars. So, um, you know, uh, being my age, when you look at my age relative to the kinds of things I'm doing, I don't think there's any ever been anybody my age doing these kinds of deals. Because how old are you? 20, I just turned 28. I hate you. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So these are exciting. So. That's good. Um, in terms of the book, listen, I like failed English in high school and college. So I don't know what, and Random House is no baby. I mean, these are the biggest publishers on the block, multi-billion dollar company. And they gave me a contract, which frankly, I've asked around and I know a lot of the best authors in the world. Did you get this contract? Yeah, no, I mean, this is a big, for somebody, again, I was 27 when I got the deal. I think it was the largest royalty, you know, advanced plus royalty contract ever for someone my age and the reason they got it was because they kept putting their authors on my podcast yeah and they know that you can move spikes yeah you can exactly so they're buying me as a sales channel which look i take as a very big compliment that you know a lot of people can't do that so it's a compliment now i just got to figure out how to write a book right (laughs) do you actually have you started writing it yet or no yeah i have and listen it's going to be a really good book what we're going to do it's going to be called something like the new rich and Mm -hmm. i'm going to basically give a bunch of tactics, maybe, you know, a hundred tactics because there's this group, Brad, I don't know if you know them. It's like your audience right now, they see like this, you know, they go to like their neighborhood block party and there's this person, guy or girl who they go, that guy, girl is so stupid, but I know they're so rich because the house they live in and they go, how does stupid people get so rich? Right. Or they have a coworker they work with who said, you know what? I'm quitting. And you're like, there's no way that coworker is going to make it. And before you know it, they're making 20 grand a month. And you're thinking, how are they doing so well? They're part of the new rich, mm-hmm. right? The, the new rich are using the new economy to create money, cash, and freedom like never before. And so I've decoded that. And that's what the book's going to be about. That's fantastic. I mean, we're part of that. I can't tell you how many times my friends have asked me, like, what do you even do? And how do you make money? Like, I don't get it. Like, how do you? It just, it's so far out of reality. And I love opening people's minds to that. Um, what's it? You know, what's a nut you're trying to crack right now in your business? And that could either be, I mean, obviously it doesn't sound like you need trouble raising money, but maybe it's finding the right people, learning a new skill set, getting introductions. I mean, is there any nuts you're you're actually trying to crack right now that myself or my listeners could jog yeah, brains? My, my number one thing that I'm trying to do right now are find, a, you know, are basically for the top inbox find additional people writing about productivity tools or business tools and build a relationship with them and get them to love you try the product for free use the product fall in love with it and then share it with their you know users email lists etc that's my number one goal right now so really ex- more exposure to your to the your top inbox you see how i just asked you in a much more specific way how can i support you nathan 
Yeah, yeah, it, it 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 was good, and thankfully this is a little unfair bec- uh, because you have an advantage because I, I since we talked about it earlier, right. I kind of already had thought of something. Ah, uh, exactly. But it is a better question. I right. mean, it, well, I try it to is do, a better question. Well, I try to do that at the end of every episode, which is because there is no easy way, and sometimes you just want to leave it open. But I was like, you know, it's a very visual. What's a nut you're trying to crack? And then I I follow that up so that you don't have to do all the thinking. Where I said, is it is it money you're trying to raise? Is it a person you're trying to hire? Is it somebody you're trying to partner with? Like. Because every once, sometimes that's a hook. You're like, oh, well, actually, yeah, I didn't even think about yeah. it. So as I said, I take a lot of contention with, well, how can I support you? But if anybody's out there who's listening, and I, I have a couple people I may be able to introduce you to here who do write a lot about that, who, you know, talk about productivity tools or whatnot, hook Nathan up. By the way, what is the best way that they can get in contact with you? Obviously, they can listen to your show at the top, NathanLaka.com, right? Yeah, you guys can all, you know, anyone, you know, and if you're a SaaS or software CEO listening, I'm happy to have you on my show. Um, if you're thinking about launching your own company or you're just an entrepreneur, again, happy to have you on my show. You can also just shoot me a tweet or a text at 703-431-2709. But don't embarrass yourself when you tweet me. Make sure it's damn good. Yeah, don't send those pictures unless you know, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> unless they're damn good, right? Unless they're good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Nathan, thanks for stopping by Bacon Wrapped Business today. This has been a lot of fun, and you know, I'm excited that we've gotten to connect several times this year, and it's going to be cool to watch your journey, and happy to share with you any of the cool things that I come across that may help you out. But thanks again for being a part of the show. Thank you, Brad. Hey, to everybody else who's watching this, and if you want to get a hold of me, if you've got any questions, if you want a second opinion about something you're working on, trying to do, maybe it's not working out so well, shoot me an email, askbrad at baconwrappedbusiness.com, and let me know. Also, if you've got any book, great book advice, you know, I asked Nathan if you've got a great piece of advice uh, on a book I should read, ask Brad at Bacon Wrap Business, and share this on social media, tag Nathan, tag myself, and let us know that you liked it. Until next time, stay tuned, because i got some really cool episodes coming up. Uh, You don't want to miss them, so if you're on iTunes, hit that subscribe button. Nathan, we'll talk soon.